Jakob, it's great to be talking to you. We have the the pleasure of another person from TensorFlight. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invite today. Well, the last person we had was was Jacob Grubb from the US. Uh, it was episode 217. We have to take a bit of care with this soundtrack. We had to turn his fish tanks off last time. So I'm glad you haven't got any fish in the background we have to worry about. Mind you, he did have a very popular episode. We had over 1,200 downloads. So uh, we're going to be building on that today. Yeah, Jacob knows a lot of people. He's been in the industry for a long time, I think like over 15 years now. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are and whatever you are doing. Now, if this is your first time joining us on the podcast, well, it's great to have you. Matthew Grant here, CEO of Instec. And if you're coming back for more, having already joined us, well, that's fantastic too. Now, we've been out and about a lot in September, a record evening event with over 300 people registered, successful breakfast, and most recently, wine tasting and sampling overlooking the Thames. Well, no food or drink from us today, but you'll find a lot to enjoy in my interview with Jakob Dreyas, CEO of TensorFlight. We cover many topical issues, including partnering, creating data from third-party sources, advances in commercial property information, as well as tips from Jakob for aspiring CEOs, and indeed anyone wanting to grow a business. Well, we're delighted to have TensorFlight as one of our members. More information on membership at the end, and you can find everything you need to know about Instec at www.instec.co. So just before we kick off, just a bit of background to TensorFlight. So you're using AI, using Arial, using street view imagery. You're providing property data for risk analytics on both commercial and homeowners and industrial properties around the world. We'll talk more about that, definitely. Founded back in 2016. Jacob, you joined the company in 2018, and today you are CEO. You're based in Poland, where some of the company is, but I know you've got people around the world. So uh, anything I missed there that was critical before we kick things off? That's correct. Actually, I joined the project earlier than 2018 as a part-time uh, advisor. And uh, yeah, in 2018, I decided to join full-time as a first sales representative in the company. Then I stepped up into the chief of growth position and uh, 14 months ago as a CEO. We're talking to quite a few companies these days that are providing aerial imagery. We've got this choice. And what's distinguishing the companies out there that are providing these different solutions? It looks like it's a saturated market at, at first sight, but it's not. These companies, they specialize in something else. And, uh, and TensorFlight, it, it's a big data company. We love API integration and uh, we have adjusted and, and created uh, our data manufacturing process uh, for the insurance carriers and reinsurers who uh, that wants to use AI property data extracted from the property images at scale. We have analyzed millions of buildings last year, last year for our customers. It's the AI model trained on many examples of uh, standalone houses, but what is unique, commercial properties. And they are very complex, so you need to put much, much bigger training data set for your AI to accomplish very high accuracy. And we serve the leading commercial property insurers uh, worldwide. So you're essentially looking for providers of data, different data sets, whereas some other companies are actually the people that are going up and, uh, and actually acquiring the aerial imagery directly. Essentially, it's what you do with that data that's really important and how you provide that to the insurance companies. 
Absolutely. The cost side of the data manufacturing process is also very important because when you want to provide this information at the point of quote, you can't offer very aggressive pricing because insurers, they don't make uh, money on every quote. Your offer has to be rational. And the same, our proposal meets the expectations of reinsurers analyzing millions of addresses uh, every year. So we adjust the cost structure to their expectations. We work with uh, multiple uh, global organizations and they expect to get consistent information uh, across the globe uh, in most of the developed countries. Uh, And we have also achieved very high accuracy of our data in the Western Europe, uh, United Kingdom, Australia, Japan, and that we can analyze building wall and this additional source of information, ground-level images. The AI can capture uh, combustible elements on the building wall, can better understand and model building construction, uh, estimate its replacement costs, and understand the building occupancy. All of this information are fundamental for the commercial property underwriting. Let's talk a little bit about the, the data. Are you able to express a preference or share some of the companies that you go to when you get your data to help define the property data aerial on the ground, other sources you use? So frankly speaking, we put so much effort to find the right partner and then uh, negotiate the best license terms, allowing us to, to extract this information through our AI model that I don't like to disclose all our imagery uh, providers. Uh, but sometimes we announce partnerships. Like for example, we announced partnership with satellite imagery provider global imagery provider, Airbus. It's high-resolution satellite imagery. The resolution is much, much higher. Accuracy is higher. We announced this partnership uh, two years ago. So I want to come back to something else you mentioned there in passing on pricing. And it's a really important point because I've been where you are in talking to insurance companies about data. And as anybody who knows anything about this space knows, it's very different if you are providing insurance quotes to a homeowner where there's lots of competition versus you are providing a survey and analysis to a commercial property owner. How do you price? Because there's so many different ways of pricing now. We have uh, put together two separate environments. Both solutions, they, they use AI, they use computer vision and similar data sets to provide the final uh, report on the given property. The difference is they use different imagery sources. Obviously, the higher the resolution and the newer the timestamp of the image, the higher the the cost, right? The the higher the price per image. So this is driving our our pricing. Reinsurers, they they don't want to invest uh, as much as carriers in the underwriting data, right? So they expect uh, more scalable, like big data solution based on more like historical information to model the risk, that's enough for them. And that's why we have put together this new infrastructure, new environment for the reinsurers or for the customers that are expecting to analyze millions, tens of millions of buildings every every year. From the corporate customers, we expect a subscription fee because it's, um, they are all very demanding customers. They, they have a lot of requests. Uh, the integration process is long. For the smaller partners, for our resellers, uh, we have uh, put together another offer, which is much simpler. It's a standardized proposal for the whole whole market. Uh, it's a pay-as-you-go pricing, very flexible. So if you're like a small climate tech company and you want to use our data to understand the impact of climate change on the on the given geography city, you can start, you know, from tomorrow. We send you an API key and you get access to the information and. Uh, all pricing is driven by pay-as-you-go. Two different models for 
two different customer segments and two different environments, but very similar technology based on computer vision and artificial intelligence. And then just picking up on that point, can you just talk a little bit about the commercial properties? Because that certainly, from what I'm hearing, is an area that a number of insurers are still struggling to get the data they need. You know, it's a fine line between when you send out a surveyor and when you can rely on remote data. But it'd be good to know just a little bit about how that's evolving in your experience. Sure. I mean, developing AI for, for commercial property analytics wasn't, wasn't an easy task. Because just think of the standalone houses. They, they are very simple structures, right? Uh, it's usually a standalone building. It's only one occupancy, right? It's a residential building. While commercial properties, they they very complex. There's uh, hundreds of occupancies, various uh, construction classes of these buildings, many, many complicated risks to understand. And uh, quite candidly, like we can't analyze all of the commercial properties uh, because some of them are very irregular structures, like think of uh, stadiums or nuclear power plants. But we have achieved, uh, we can analyze up to 90% of commercial properties, uh, most common commercial properties like warehouses, uh, hotels, shopping malls, restaurants, and many others. As they are like much more regular structures, there's a pattern that AI can can understand and, and provide very, very highly accurate information. And you need uh, a different technology to different than any company on the market can offer at the moment. The technology that we have developed, it's as I said, we analyze, uh, we can analyze ground level imagery, and this is a this is a critical source of data if you want to model the risk for commercial building, understanding building construction, commercial building construction occupancy, like these two data points, for example, the critical to understand the risk. Uh, and you need to understand the whole structure of the building, also from the ground level perspective. So we have patented this technology two years ago in the United States, and uh, and we have partnered with uh, one of the largest ground level imagery providers offering this, this imagery source in most of the urban areas in developed countries. Some of these sites are quite hard to get to. So presumably you have to send somebody on a specific mission to go and, with permission from the building owner, maybe, to go and get some of those images. Absolutely. This is an idea for the further development of our technology. So our API can already use external information from the carrier or carrier's partners as input data. There are like plenty of solutions, mobile apps, uh, uh, allowing uh, insurance or agents, uh, brokers to, to to capture or even like make a video and do inspection on carry out an inspection on their own. Uh, the algorithm we're working on will be capable of analyzing this source, new source of information too, and for example, detect sprinklers inside the building to understand if the property, commercial property, uh, is well protected. So I agree with you. Uh, it's challenging. The Google car or like other cars with the camera on the top, they they can't uh, capture all of the, the building from all the angles. However, like we have developed a system that can select the best angle, the best uh, image, and uh, kind of create like a digital twin of this building. We also use 3D models that understand, build, and they help understand the, the building shape uh, so we use multiple imagery sources uh, and data sources to to improve it, to improve the coverage that is sometimes missing in the ground-level imagery sources. And then your world's moving pretty fast. So 12 months since we spoke to, to Jacob, what's happened in the last 12 months in terms of moving forward? So the whole team did an amazing job. So we have uh, achieved 200% annual recurring revenue growth 
year over year. And the other thing, I think on the technical side, we have proved that we can analyze millions of addresses every year. So the engineers provided a reliable and much, much faster API to our uh, existing customers, sending millions, millions of API requests. So yeah, it was really interesting to hear about that speed of analysis. And then it leads me on to a question about how do you think about the decisions you make? Because you've got a sales background, you know how to bring good salespeople in, good marketing people, but that's a very different decision you've got to make. And a very critical decision when you've got to make both about hiring technology people, but also making choices when your colleagues come to you and ask you to make an investment in, in certain areas. How have you developed that skill set yourself? So I, I spent like uh, over six years uh, with uh, uh, our engineers. We have very like uh, low rotation in the engineering team. So most of the engineers who joined TensorFly 2016, 17, in its early days are still with us, including our chief technology officer, Lucas. He's uh, worked for Google in Silicon Valley for a long time, won uh, multiple Olympiads. Like I, He's a silver medalist of IOI. And we spent so much together in brainstorming how to how to solve a particular problem. And, you know, all this time I spent with the engineers in the same room. And, you know, in our early days, it was more like, you know, startup in the basement. So we were in the same room, five of us. Uh, and I think all this time helped me to understand AI. And um, I think understanding both like AI and, 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 and software and the business gives you this broader perspective and like help you to rationalize your decisions. So sometimes engineers, you know, they like to they love coding, they love development uh, of new features development, uh, and uh, it's their passion, uh, usually. But as a business person, as a, as a salesperson, you understand your customers. So you always have to uh, rationalize some decisions from the financial standpoint and make sure this is the best investment you're making. And this is the shortest path to achieve what your customer wants to see. So you don't want to overcomplicate some engineering tasks. And I think this combination of, uh, of business people and engineering people helped us to achieve uh, the growth we experienced uh, this and last year. Yeah. And then you mentioned in there, and I didn't recognize the acronym, so you're going to have to explain it to me. You, you're one of your colleagues was a silver medalist in IOI. Can you just explain what that meant? It's one of the most prestigious uh, competitions uh, for engineers. You've also launched Tensor Connect, which is leading a theme, I think I'd say, because you, you launched it 12 months ago, of companies that are recognizing the benefits, collaboration and, and part platforms. But can you just explain a little bit about how that works? So this program, is, it's driven by our new mission, democratizing access to AI uh, property data we provide. So it's a standardized proposal for uh, for the broader markets. And so it doesn't matter whether you are a large corporation or a small MGA or maybe early stage climate tech startup uh, trying to protect uh, communities uh, from the CAT events. Uh, it just takes a few days to, to join the program, get access to, to our AI data API and, and start building new products, improve the existing uh, uh, solutions with, with uh, our AI data. So you've got a platform, you're allowing companies into it, they can build solutions to integrate with your data. So you also providing access to your clients, obviously in a, in a gated way and people on Tensor Connect. So it's extremely important to, first of all, to build trust with your partner. We really like select the partners carefully. So we always need to, first of all, you know, like we need a meeting, we need to understand their plans. We require from them the information on, uh, on their sales, on their reselling plans, on their existing customer base. So we make sure that they don't reach out to our direct customers. Uh, that's all very important. 
And you need to build this trust over uh, over months and years, uh, and it's usually very beneficial for both sides. But we also very careful, so we don't work with all the organizations they they uh, they want to join the program. And what about an organization like Saitora, who you're partnering with? They've got their own clients, some quite big ones. They're all partnering with others. Is that done through Tensor Connect, or do you have a slightly different way that you you work with organizations that you might be sort of similar size, similar presence in the marketplace to to you? Saitora has partnered with us through Tensor Connect program. So as I said, it was a very fast process for both organizations to partner, to get access to our information, and they can embed it, uh, their, their, our information on their portal, with the, with the resell it to their customers. There are other like, recognized organizations, uh, for example, Guidewire, one of the largest core systems for insurers. Uh, we are a member of uh, Guidewire Vanguard program, Psychotra, Duck Creek, but also like smaller companies, uh, Eigenrisk, um, uh, Quotec. Uh, so it's it's been a tremendous success given that we have announced the program early this year. We have entered into over 12 partnerships with the, with the very uh, recognized brands. And it's definitely a sense of where this theme we're seeing where the insurers now recognize, large insurers recognizing that the innovation and technology is not frightening and it's working in parts of their organization and they're now looking to scale it. And I, and I guess it works both ways, as you said, with like Guidewire with their program are also opening this up to their clients as well. Absolutely. And, you know, we were inspired by our first partnership with uh, Google Marketplace and um, Google InsurTech team led by Nigel Welsh, who helped us to develop relationships with, the, with their customer, insurance customers. And we just realized uh, that it's much easier to win customers together with uh, these recognized logos like, like Google Guidewire. And uh, that's why I think it's a very smart strategy to just use external Salesforce and connections and network uh, and do something together and partner and uh, you know innovate uh, insurance together with with instead of like compete with them. Yeah, innovate together. I mean, the, in the war between insurers and disruptors, we we know who won that war. So collaboration is the way forward. What about your clients? So we've touched on this, but who can you talk about that you're working with? So like this year, we made a big announcement and uh, we partnered with uh, MS Amlin. So we're expanding on the, on the London market. It's not only uh, carriers in the US or Western Europe, but also London market. Um, we see this fast expansion because, as I said, we have developed this new environment, uh, uh, highly scalable environment, analyzing millions of properties uh, at a time. We work with the, the leading commercial property carriers like QB, uh, which is both our investor and, uh, and, and customer, truly global company. We analyze properties across the globe for, for this organization. But some customers, they don't like to disclose partnership with us because they believe it's a it is a competitive advantage to have a, a unique uh, data provider uh, a tech company creating a new alternative data source that uh, helps you to to be competitive on, on this very competitive uh, market right where else are you covering in addition to the US it's uh six largest european countries uh, france uh, spain italy germany poland uh, and the uk and Australia and Japan. So we entered Japanese market this year. We have to we had to deploy a new model, uh, understanding uh, uh, Japanese architecture. There are like uh, differences between this architectural style in Japan and uh, and the rest of the world. World a significant difference. So it took us uh, a little bit of time. We put much effort, but it's live in production. We have a first customer in Japan, first partnerships uh, with the imagery providers. So that's very exciting. Very exciting opportunity, given that the country, this country is exposed to catastrophic risks. So this data is even more 
valuable in in Japan than in safe uh, geographies like like uh, like Western Europe. And then in terms of scaling, I'm thinking a couple of things. So one is if you're doing commercial buildings, a lot of these commercial buildings around the world are built to the code that would be used in the in the developed world. So I would imagine that allows you to. I mean, clearly, it's not as straightforward as just taking a building that's been designed for the US and then assuming it's the same if you're going somewhere else. But but I'd imagine there's a, there's a sort of potential to scale quite rapidly when you get to a certain point because you there are companies out there they've got quite large exposures dispersed across the world that they're not yet solutions for. Do you say do you see a sort of a point that where you can actually rapidly scale because there's only a certain number of architectural styles once you get beyond the sort of main Asian countries, US, Europe, Southeast Asia, Australia, places like that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, warehouse looks similar in, in Japan and in Europe, but like residential properties, they they totally different. The, the, the construction materials, they they different. Uh, they just adapted to some catastrophic risks like tsunami, cyclones. So that's uh, it's very important to build additional training data sets to enrich your existing data set with uh, with examples from the given geography to make sure that your data accuracy is high enough. Yeah, there's only a certain amount of assumptions you can make. And then come just back to something we touched on before, but just be interested for you taking on the role of a CEO. What tips would you have for other people that are doing that either as founder CEOs and having to sort of grapple with building a two businesses, really building a technology business and then building your people business or coming in as you have or growing up through the organization as you have take on a role. I mean, what's been your kind of core philosophy about how to make that successful? It's not only like uh, building a company culture and technology, but it's also fundraising skills that you need to develop and, and they also need to evolve uh, over the years. I think this is a first most important lesson that you have to evolve together with your company and, and realize that your role is changing. It's a different management style when you have uh, five people in the room eating pizza, right? And, uh, and and when you have like 40 people in the in the office like we have now, uh, you need very strong and clear uh, reporting lines, organi- organizational structure to, to avoid chaos, right? So you have to also like, you know, change your communication style, adjust to the company needs, uh, communication with the board, with the investors. So I think the CEOs of a fast-growing companies like tech startups, they, they also need to change over time, evolve and grow together with the company. And it's very important to have the right investors that will explain you that. I'm, I'm lucky because we really have like the world-class investors. They are amazing. They, they support me and the, and the rest of the leadership team, TensorFlight leadership team, uh, guiding us on how to manage our business. Uh, but obviously, it's not a micromanagement. It's like advisory. I would call it advisory. The other lessons I took, I think, is that um, it's extremely important to hire the, I, I know it's a cliche maybe, but you have to hire the best people you can. And it's not only about the talents and the skills. They, they need to be there because you don't have much time to train people because most of the tech startups, they they move in the eight months cycle. So the investors funds very quickly, uh, providing returns much faster, growing the revenue faster, or like building very unique technology, getting patents. But you have to make sure that you have the best experts available on the market. You have to... And it's extremely important that they are motivated. So the talent uh, and the experience is not enough. You have to make sure they will like startup company culture. They worked at startup, like a smaller dynamic organization, because the work work style, workflows are different than a large corporation. The other lesson I took, I think, uh, 
is that you have to trust your people. Like y- you have to start delegating tasks uh, aggressively when you have 40, 50, over 50 people in the company and you have to make sure they are making des- some decisions for you. They're very autonomous, but you have to watch your team performance. You have to create KPIs that you can watch and, uh, and a robust uh, business intelligence platform that tells you, helps you to understand the growth drivers and your cost structure. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. I mean, we're smaller than you are, but there's a couple of things that we've learned. So one is curiosity is is also, in addition to things you mentioned, a big predicator of success. And I, I mean, actually, not entirely coincidentally, Instech itself, we are realizing it's a collaboration of the curious. You know, people that they have questions, they want to answer them, they want to find more questions, they answer They're They're, they're driven by that. Uh, I think the other thing also is where you can bring people into business that actually know more about something than than you do. To your point about allowing people to do it, there's a great satisfaction of realizing somebody is bringing something new and actually challenging and challenging the sort of the, how I might have thought about it in a way that is very refreshing because it takes the organization in a different direction as opposed to somebody that just sort of is an echo of what I've done or something else. So uh, all really good insights you've seen in there. I think the final one I'd add is Reid Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn, has got this view that when you multiply a company size by three, the company changes totally. So you go from one to three, three to nine, you know, round it up, nine to 30, up to 100. And you're kind of in that 30, now getting up to 100 stage, which is you know, sort of a kind of very different than when you're obviously 10 people or you're 500 people. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree with you. So we've covered a lot today. For somebody that wants to now go and dig into this a little bit more, what's the easiest way for them to to find out specifically more about the areas of TensorFlight they're interested in? So, so there's like um, one of the most exciting and the largest InsurTech uh, conferences ahead of us, uh, ITC, InsurTech Connect Vegas. So I encourage everybody to attend the event. It's it's fantastic. You can, uh, you can meet uh, our team at our exhibition booth. We can uh, run a demo for you. You can analyze any, any building uh, your house or like any any restaurants you like through our system, through our AI, and see how it works in real time. It's a pretty amazing experience to to see how AI works in action. Or you can just reach out to us. Uh, there is a contact form on our website, and uh, we usually respond the same day. And Jakob, finally, we're really appreciative of your support. People have to make choices, hard choices these days about whether they're spending their money. Uh, really value the support you've given us. It helps us bringing other people into the community and, and the platforms and things you talked about. But it'd be great just to hear directly from you what it was that you motivated you to support us and keep supporting us. Uh, we love your events and uh, all of the marketing activities around your community, including this podcast. I think it's one of the best investments we made on the marketing side to, to support you and uh, our team, uh, which is based in partially based in, in Warsaw, regularly visits uh, London just for your events, uh, to meet the net, your network and um, you know, meet your customers, partners, and, uh, and, and brainstorm together on the, on the innovation in the InsurTech. So yeah, we're really enjoying this community. Well, thank you. No, we appreciate that. And actually, just coming back to Google Cloud, so we did an event in New York in June last year, thanks to Nigel Walsh and his colleagues. We're doing at least one in June again next year, and then likely to be doing a couple more on the ground over there. So, you know, good to see you in the UK. Good to hear that Vegas is going to be good for you as well. But we'll also hope to be seeing you at some of the things we'll be doing in New York and possibly further afield as well. So watch that space, but definitely be good to get TensorFlight involved. But uh, 
Jakob, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Always enjoy seeing you, hearing from you, and uh, yeah, look forward to the next stage and what you're up to. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. I, I, I enjoyed this conversation a lot, so thank you uh, for inviting me, and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thanks. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us at Instec. We are working with insurers and technology companies around the world to help them find business partners and to learn more about what is driving successful use of data and analytics today. If you're interested in membership, please contact us at hello at instec.co or for more information about membership, our reports and future events, please go to www.instec.co. That's it. We're done. <laughs>